Marketing. From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force, and for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Hey, NextGen, it's Alana Phillips. I am here today with Eric Roberge, founder of Beyond Your Hammock. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Eric. Yeah, it's been fun so far, so why not keep it going? I love it. We've got lots of good stuff to talk about. You have such an interesting model and it's a model that I know the sort of fringe of the industry, we see folks working with millennials, which is part of what you're doing with Beyond Your Hammock. But there are a lot of negative messages about working with younger people. Next-gen advisors are told they can't, it's not profitable, all of these things. So maybe you can give us some of the secrets. How have you built a business model working with younger folks rather than the traditional planning clients? Trial and error is definitely the the beginnings of it because it, there wasn't a track to go on back in mm-hmm. 2013. So had to do a lot of, of tests and what works, what doesn't work, what sticks, where's the value really when it comes to working with these millennials. And through that kind of conversation, you pick up the most important areas to plan for. The good news about what we do is it's built around the financial planning service. The financial planning itself is the product, right? The service itself. And and that's really important. So when you zoom into what works, it's harnessing the power of cash flow to make sure that you can spend well today on what you value, cutting out what you don't, and therefore being able to save for the future with that money that you're not spending on things that you value today. So that's the the broad-based balance that we try to approach everything from. But then when it comes down to it, and people are moving a lot, they're changing companies, they're changing benefits packages, they're buying or selling a house, they're having children, they're trying to then decide on does my retirement savings rate change at all because I now need to save for college? Do I need to pay the nanny? Can I do that in cash or do I have to actually create a business to pay them above board, which in Massachusetts, you actually have to do that. So there's a lot of different technical pieces to the planning that my clients are dealing with. And then when you lay over that, the types of industries that my clients are in, typically tech, healthcare, law, I guess is another category you start to realize that there are benefits programs that are pretty sophisticated when it comes to equity compensation and other pieces like that, that seem to be pretty complicated and no one knows how to deal with them. And certainly they don't know how to apply the tactics around those specific things to the life that we just talked about. So it's harnessing all of that and making it a clear distinction in an orderly plan so that people can actually put this into action. Eric, when you talk about millennials, I feel like we still think of millennials as being very young people, but what is sort of the age range of these folks that you're working with? I was just thinking of that too, because when I had this conversation in 2013, millennials were seven or eight years younger. They're older. So millennials aren't all that young anymore. And they're certainly, if they're not already 40, they're approaching 40 pretty quickly. And my clients are typically, I would say 38 years old, plus or minus five or six years. Right. So that's the range of my clientele, which is a place where they're hitting their stride financially inside of their careers. And therefore their cash flow is super powerful. And they have a lot of things pulling at them from older parents to younger children to again, career itches and things evolving from that perspective that they just want that sounding board, that objective set of eyes to talk through things and really get guidance. And not just guidance that is the best financially thing to do on your spreadsheet, but 
the guidance that they can put into place for them that they feel good about. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you think about 30 to 40, right? That sort of range. There's so many life events that happen, getting married, having babies, buying homes, career changes like you're talking about. And so it's so weird to me when, you know, we've talked about this before. Most of our industry says, oh, this is less complex planning. They don't need a financial plan. There's a lot of stuff going on. It sounds like your conversations are a little bit different, not only from a planning perspective, but you keep talking about values, right? And how they're spending their money and their time. How do you dig into those values with them? And what does that look like? It's conversations. It's asking the right questions and more importantly, listening to the answers. And the answers may not be things that they say, but it's between the lines and then digging in deeper. Because when you look at a timeline and talk about what you're going to be doing in the next one, five, 10 years, and that's something I actually share on my screen, on my computer and draw on to have them start to tell me what their life looks like over the next period of time you see that people resort to things that they can buy. I need to pay for college. I need to buy a vacation house. I need to move to another place and spend this kind of money. When in reality, those are the surface level things, but underneath those things, they want to buy them because it gives them a sense of purpose or it allows them to touch on some very important piece of their non-financial life, like enjoying family or freedom to do X, Y, or Z. And it's those things that motivate them. So if you don't tap into those things, you're not going to catch the motivations. And if you don't catch the motivations, they're not going to do anything with your plan that you give them. So Eric, is it as simple as, you know, they tell you these financial things, things that are going to require money. Do you just have to ask why, you know, why is that vacation home important or why is college planning important? I feel like we always get these messages about sales tactics and you got to do the verbal jujitsu, but is it as simple as asking them why? Generally speaking, it is, except I have read that asking why puts people on the defensive a bit. They're like, oh my God, I got to answer this question now versus saying like, tell me more about this thing. Or you've mentioned this, what do you mean by that? And Mm -hmm. just allowing them to kind of just explore open-endedly, but not too open-endedly where they don't know what to say. I'm going to pause us there. We'll be back in just a minute. The American College of Financial Services is dedicated to providing applied financial knowledge and education promoting lifelong learning and advocating for ethical standards for the benefit of society. I'm George Nichols III, President and CEO, and I encourage you to listen and subscribe to this and other college podcasts as we continue to expand our horizons in this digital landscape. Remember, no matter what, we are always stronger together. Visit theamericancollege.edu to learn how you can be part of the change we're building. Get best-in-class preparation for your exam with our CFP Certification Education Program. Start your journey toward this valued designation at theamericancollege.edu slash CFP. So, Eric, I have to ask because... We've been told at every firm, you cannot work with millennials. It's not profitable. How are you charging for this sort of service and advice? How are you charging for the planning? What does that model look like for a young professional coming to work with you? With the caveat that it's been an evolving process over time. I'll talk about how I'm charging now. And that is a combination of things. For our Quick Start program, which is very much a finite planning engagement that lasts about six weeks, We're charging a flat dollar amount for a plan. 
and that's $1,500 typically. And for our ongoing service, we started a base level of $4,000 a year for the planning, and then we're layering in the investment management as well. But as we do that and clients build up their assets, we are discounting the planning fee and also eventually discounting the AUM fee as well. Okay. So is it profitable, Eric? It's very profitable. I mean, the fact that you, not only are you comparing, not you personally, but universally you comparing what typical advisors do and the typical advisory costs, but you have to look at it from a different perspective because our industry and the businesses that are working with these younger people look a lot different. So the overhead is significantly less. I don't have an office. I mean, I, I rent a co-working space for five grand a year. I don't pay 15, 20 plus thousand dollars for an office space. And then you add in the other technology that makes things virtual and you can significantly reduce costs, be more productive and efficient, and therefore have to hire less people to do the same type of work. Yeah, that's so awesome. It, it reminds me, I just watched that documentary about the last blockbuster, you know, and just that shift from brick and mortar to, you know, what is now our Netflix model. So when you approach these clients, younger clients, and you present this fee schedule to them, are they taken aback by it? Or are they, you know, think this is a strange model? Or I guess they're not really familiar with what the rest of the industry would look like in terms of charging fees. I think it would be a little bit easier to talk about if they were familiar, but you're mm -hmm. right. Most people that I talk to have not worked with an advisor before, and this is their first array into things. And I will say maybe it's the, the bias that we have as far as our marketing goes, but when people show up to us, they're showing up to us because we are fee-only. So they say that right away, like we wanted a fee-only advisor and we've done our research to know that much, but they don't necessarily know anything else from there or how it works. So you really have to paint a picture knowing that they can't compare it to anything else. So it's really hard to understand, is this valuable? Is it too expensive? Is it not? So it takes a little bit of work to, to walk through that with them. Okay, Eric. So we've determined this is a profitable model, but you must be spending a lot of time with these folks. What is the meeting process or model for working with them? I do spend a lot of time with them and it's for the purpose of adding the most value possible, but we also have to look at it from a business perspective to be efficient as well as being effective. So the way that we've found that works for us is meeting with our clients that are ongoing clients. The first year we meet with them five times to cover all of the important planning, you know, traditionally like cash flow and taxes and insurance and investments, all this stuff. And then every year thereafter, we're meeting with them proactively, setting up meetings in the calendar in the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, and the end of the year. But after each meeting, we're also developing an action plan or an action list for them to take care of between now and the next meeting. So that 21 days out from the next meeting, they're going to receive an email from us saying, here was the action plan. Did you do anything? And usually it's no. But then they scramble for the next three weeks to get things done for the next meeting. So they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to do all the things, but we are there acting. I always tell them as the plow behind the action plan to make sure nothing falls through the cracks and they get things done and make progress over time. That's great, Eric, and helpful for our listeners and thinking about how to structure this. So I don't know if it's a millennial trait, but I love those lists because yes, we never get them done when we're supposed to until there's a little pressure. <laughs> Thanks for the proactive responses. 
Do you explain to them that fee only, you know, versus the other models? Cause I feel like fee only is one of those sexy terms. It's sort of like, you know, the organic produce where it's like, we know the buzzwords of what is popular or what we're hearing about, but I feel like a lot of the folks, and I think of folks my age, you know, in their thirties that don't know what that means at all. So do you have to explain to them what fee only actually is compared to some of the other models? Yeah. And that's a, it's a messy conversation sometimes because there's just, I mean, when it comes down to it, it doesn't necessarily matter how you charge as long as you are transparent about what the yeah. client is paying and what the value is that they're receiving. So I do tell them like, listen, I've started my business here because I am not attached to any other company. I have no influence to sell you a product or anything else. And you really need to find somebody that is working in a place where they're familiar with your needs. So I'm not good for you because I'm fee only. I'm good for you because I'm honest and transparent and because I work with people just like you all the time. I love it. I'm sold already. That transparency, Eric, is my uh, love language. We need so much more of it in this industry, right? Of just, this is what it is. So my last question I'll ask you, because I know our listeners are thinking about this too, Eric, this is profitable. We understand a little bit about how you're working with younger people. Where are they coming from? How do they find you? Where do millennials come from? It's the age old question. <laughs> <laughs> they show up really organic search online. I think we had probably, actually, I was talking to my wife, who is my marketing genius, and we, I think we had 114, 118 prospects last year in 2020. 22 were referrals, 41 were organic SEO Google searches, 27 of them cited our podcast or an article that we've written for Business Insider or Kiplinger or Forbes, and then there's some others that are, are smaller, but it's really online searching because we write a lot of content. I mean, we produce a lot of content every quarter. It's music to my ears, Eric, sort of a foreshadows a future episode on content and podcasts, how those can lead to business. So great to hear that that's where folks are finding you as well. And certainly the fact that you're an expert in working with other people that have similar situations puts them at ease and makes them feel like this is the right place. So Eric, thanks for sharing the secret sauce with us today. And I know we've got more to talk about in the future. Oh, my pleasure. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.